there are many who strive, but few endure. There are many who struggle, but few prevail. And of those who remain, there is only one who can truly be called a hero. We're going to go to the Word of God this morning, Luke chapter 8, if you have a Bible, or take out your Bibles, or your smartphones, or your iPads, or your tablets, and let's get into this scripture very quickly, but before we do, excuse me, I want to just introduce myself. My name is Tim. I haven't been here for three weeks, but it's good to be back. I'm the pastor of this campus of Waters Church. Waters Church, for those of you who are new, is one church in three locations. We have a location in Norwood, North Attleboro, and Taunton, Massachusetts. And our Taunton campus watches these videos uh, at their campus, and they are a part of this series as well, On Mission. And we want to say a welcome to the Taunton campus. Everybody in North Attleboro, let's give them a big hand and welcome them in, listening to us. We are on mission. We are people that God has chosen, that God has selected, that God has saved, or is about to save, for his purposes. We do not exist for ourselves. We do not live to please ourselves. It is not about me. Amen. Amen. It's not about you. We are not here on planet earth only to serve our own interests. I have a statement today that I want to make that is the summation of this message. And it's two parts and I want you to write this down or mark it in your notes. And if you're taking notes, write it down. And if you're not taking notes, I want you to write it down. Here's the statement. God comforts the challenged. And then he challenges the comforted. God comforts the challenged. And then he challenges the comforted to stop being so comfortable about the people in their lives who need the comfort of God that they themselves have received. It is a cyclical message. It comes to us, 
It heals us, it saves us, it changes us, and then it's not there to stay only with us, it must go through us. It must work out of us, it must come from us, because God did not invest his, his son into your life simply for you to make the transition once you die from this planet to the next life, but to make a difference in the world in which you live. You are not here for yourself. We are not here for ourselves. We are here for the mission of God on planet Earth. And today, we're going to start, continue the series. Our Haiti missionary started last week, but we're going to continue the series because this is a personal message for you. God comforts the challenge and challenges the comfort. Comforted. Um, th this past couple of weeks, my, uh, my wife, my family, and I, we went on vacation. We went to Florida. We enjoyed the warm sun. And then once we got there, unfortunately, immediately we found out that my favorite aunt, who I grew up with, loved all my life, was filled with stage four cancer throughout her body. It was too late. She's 71, and she, she was about to go. So we had to drive up and, and say goodbye to her. And uh, when we left for vacation, she had just passed. And so next Saturday, we are going to be at the Norwood campus uh, celebrating her passing. And I know that sounds a little strange, but there is no doubt in any of our minds that we know where she is right now. We know that she is not, yeah, she hasn't lost her life. She has gained the ultimate life. She has not died. She has made the successful transition, having completed the task that God had in store for her from the foundations of the world. And, and I say that she's my favorite aunt affectionately because when I first started out in ministry, when I was first a youth pastor, she was the one that was investing in me, loving me through the difficult times of transitioning into serving others and being a minister and a leader. And she helped me more than you can imagine. She would bring me over her house and give me free food. And for anybody recently out of college, we all know that that's a blessing, amen. And she would feed me steaks and salads and potatoes and keep me well fed. Then we would sit down and we would watch inspirational movies together about uh, people who were investing in young people like Lean On Me. We watched um, uh, To Sir With Love, that great uh, old movie. Uh, we watched all those kind of movies. Uh, Mr. Holland's Opus, she introduced me to that. Anyway, it was about being an investing person in young people. And it really fueled my first few years of ministry. And I never forget this story that she told me about her own life. And the thing that made her life so challenging would turn out to be her biggest opportunity to receive the comfort of God. You see, when she was six years into her first marriage, into her only marriage, she had a four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter. And she was just doing her business one day and her husband stood at the door with a bag in his hand and said to her, I'm sorry, I can't do this. It's not you, it's not the kids, it's me. I can't handle this responsibility and I gotta go. He walked out the door, moved to Texas and never came back. And she wondered, what was she gonna do? The four-year-old girl and a one-year-old girl, what was she going to do now on her own responsible for this family? And she prayed and she sought God and, and she did for months and it seemed as if the answer would never come. And the worst part of it all was that her former husband who had just walked out the door on her was the choir director of the church. 
Never trust the choir director. Amen. That's why we don't have a choir in this church, all right? And, uh, you know, bad past, bad memories, but nonetheless. <laughs> she prayed and prayed. It seemed like the answer never came. She didn't know what she was going to do. One day, she's sitting at her bedside, praying, tears in her eyes. God, how am I going to do this? I'm alone. Listen, this was before being a single mom was celebrated in the pop culture. Hello, somebody. She didn't know how she's going to handle this. And she was praying and she heard some birds chirping outside her window. She tried to ignore it and pray louder and they chirped louder. She tried to ignore it even further and they chirped even louder. She could not ignore them. And so she went to the window and she pulled up the shade and sitting on her air conditioning unit in her window was three sparrows. One looked like the mom and two little baby sparrows next to her. They were just chirping like crazy. And she never, she, she'll, she told me she'll never forget the word of Christ came right into her heart like a dart and said, I know when a sparrow falls to the ground and I know how to take care of you. And I'll tell you something, that moment in her life, her eyes widened with hope, her heart was lifted, she was encouraged, and she knew that if God was with her, she could do anything he needed her to do. She took over the choir that her husband left high and dry. She led cantatas and Easter productions and ministries and played the organ and the piano. She never got a paycheck. She taught VBS and Sunday school, led women's ministries, had uh, small groups in her home, invested in the lives of hundreds of other women in the church. She never remarried. She stayed pure till the day she died. And she raised two godly, Jesus-fearing, God-loving children today that are walking with the Lord. And she passed from death to life in victory and in triumph. And to me, she is a giant of the faith, for God comes to comfort the challenge. But she didn't just stay comforted. She let God challenge her to help others who needed the comfort that she had received. <laughs> God comforts the challenged. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that comforts the challenged? In Luke chapter 8, we're going to see a guy who needed some serious comfort. Would you stand with me as we go to this passage of Scripture? Here's what it says. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. They sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time, here's what happened. It had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilderness. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. 
Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had been had, had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. If you are here and you have trouble sharing your faith this morning, I've got a very simple solution. It comes right here from verse 39. Jesus says, here's how you share your faith. Return to your home and go tell somebody how much God has done for you. Am I talking to someone here today for whom God has done great things? All witnessing is, is telling somebody about it. Not arguing about evolution, not debating gay marriage, not arguing about abortion. It's about telling people how much God has done for them and for you. And just letting them know, this is my story. I was, Jesus came, and now I am. And if you're somebody in Jesus, you should shout about it, you should celebrate it, you should not let daylight savings keep you quiet about it. You should be happy to tell somebody about what Jesus has done in your life. Amen. And look what he did. He said it went away. He went away proclaiming. Proclaiming. Somebody say proclaiming. proclaiming. No, say it with attitude now. Proclaiming. Proclaiming the whole city to the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, I approach your word with humility. And the opportunity to preach it, Father, is a privilege. And I ask for all of us, including me, to have an open heart and an open mind. Change us, transform us, make us like Jesus. For your glory, for your kingdom to come, and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. I have this microphone so that I can cough, by the way. My cough button for the day will be... The fake cough made me real cough. This is one of those stories that, if you're not careful, you will disconnect with because it seems out of touch with our Western civilization sensibilities. I mean, we have a guy possessed by demons. Don't see much of that around America, do we? Don't see much of this kind of, you know, people uh, wandering naked through the wilderness. Don't see many people bound with shackles and chains. Don't see many pig herds being filled with demons, then rushing down a steep cliff and falling into a lake. This is not something that you see on your way to your office, is it? Strange to us. 
And if we're not careful, we'll be quick to dismiss it. But I do have news for you. According to the scriptures, there is a demonic spiritual realm all around us. They are there even though we do not see them. And when we come to the issue of demons, there are two mistakes that we can make. C.S. Lewis outlined for us. He said we can either see a demon in everything, like we go to church in the morning and we get a flat tire and we start saying, isn't that just like the devil to give me a flat tire on the way to church? No, you just ran over a nail. Get over it, change the tire, and get to church a little late. Amen. Okay, we can see a demon everywhere. Or number two, we can see a demon nowhere and dismiss the idea of demonic spirits. I talked to a guy after the service last night. He said, that was my story. I dismissed it. I thought if I just, not be if I just didn't believe in Satan, he would leave me alone. He said, Pastor Tim, how wrong I was. Because when you, when you believe that demons are everywhere or when you believe that demons are nowhere, you are playing right into the devil's hands. There is a demonic realm. And I want to make a statement that's going to shock some of you. It's going to sound heretical, but it's true. Satan has a plan for your life. We love to think God has a plan, and he does. But do you know that there is an unseen enemy that is out in the world, walking through the world, trying to find people that he can take under his wing? And in the long run, his aim is to destroy your life, your marriage, your kids, your finances, your prosperity, your blessings, your hope, your peace. He is after you. Satan has a plan for your life. And if you do not think Satan has a plan for your life, you are playing right into Satan's plan for your life. He wants you. And he's after you. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal kill and destroy that's satan's plan he wants to steal from you he wants to kill you he wants to destroy you paul said that we do not fight against flesh and blood but against rulers against powers against the principalities of cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm satan has a plan for your life this is why peter says be sober-minded be watchful, be alert, be awake. Somebody say, wake up. He's there, he's after you, he's your enemy, your adversary, and he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan has a plan for your life. Look, look at the plan that Satan has for your life. I think it's illustrated in this man's life probably more than anybody else in all of Scripture. Because this guy is really messed up by demons. And look at the story. It says this. He wore no clothes. In Jesus' day, to have no clothes meant you were absolute poverty stricken. So Satan wants to rob from you. He wants to steal your money. You, he wants to take from you the prosperity that God longs to give you. And here's the funny thing about Satan. He won't come out and say, hey, I'm Satan. I'm here to steal from you. He'll do it underhandedly, sneakily, behind the scenes. He'll work through people, situations. He'll give you lustful temptations and offer you the pleasures of sin that are pleasurable for a short time, but they are a huge payment at the end. 
So we will do things that are foolish and stupid for a high, for a pleasurable moment, and then we pay the price long-term. Some of you know this. Some of you experienced this. If you've experienced this, I think we need you to say amen right now. There are people here who have paid the price for listening to the plan of Satan over their life. He wore no clothes. He didn't live in a house, but in the tombs. Satan wants you separated from society. He wants you alone. He wants you apart from every other person who could comfort you. The Bible says in Genesis that it is not good for man to be alone. And that's exactly how Satan wants it for you. He wants you alone, isolated, depressed. And here's what it says in verse 29 about this man. It says, for the demon had often seized him and he was kept under guard, bound. Somebody say bound. Bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Satan wants you bound. He wants you struggling with a habitual sin for the rest of your life. Why? So that every time you do it, you can sit and beat yourself up for the next three weeks about it. And never have the joy of the Lord. And never experience the freedom that is in Christ. And never know the peace that comes from surrendering to his lordship and handing over the sinful practices of your life and refusing to listen to the lies of the enemy and believing the truth of God's word that sets you free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? That was to give me a break to cough. <laughs> he has a plan for your life. Don't be ignorant of it. It is after you. It is after me. You say, well, we just have marital troubles. There might be a demon there. There might be spiritual wickedness there. You need to pray it out of your life. You have the authority in the blood of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, to say, get thee behind me, Satan. I will worship the Lord God and serve him only. Here's the good news. God has a more powerful plan for your life. Yeah, Satan's after you. And if you're ignorant of it, you're playing right into his hand. Don't be ignorant of it. And secondly, don't be ignorant of the fact that God has a more powerful plan for your life. Let me tell you about God and Satan. They are not equal. We all, not all of us maybe, but most of us grew up with the Looney Tunes. Anybody grow up with the Looney Tunes, watching them Saturday mornings? I used to love the Looney Tunes. Okay, that was my Saturday morning mantra. And I remember Elmer Fudd. I'm hunting for a rabbit, right? And he would have the little demon pop up over here. Come on, somebody. And over here, the little angel, and he would listen to the demon, and listen to the angel, and listen to the demon, and go shoot Bugs Bunny. And we are almost presented with this reality that there are two spiritual forces that are of equal weight and equal power and equal influence. That is not true. Satan is created. God is not created. Satan is limited. God is not limited. Satan is not all-knowing. Satan is not all-powerful. Satan is not everywhere. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere, and in charge of all things. God and Satan are not equals. God is more powerful. You say, but why does Satan have the authority in my life? Because you let him. You give it to him. God doesn't. 
God, by the way, did you notice in the Garden of Eden that God never stepped in when the serpent came to tempt Eve? Did you notice that? Why? Because that was not God's place. God had already said to Adam and Eve, you have dominion over everything. If that serpent comes up to you and tells you to eat the apple, you tell that serpent, go slither off somewhere else. You have authority over who you're going to give your life to. Understand Satan's plan, but know that God's plan is more powerful. It is better, it is awesome, and it is life-giving. Here's how it works with, G with God's plan. God's plan begins with Jesus. It is all about Jesus, my friend. It is not about being a member of Waters Church, although I encourage you to be a member of this church. We are not the only church in town, but we are the best church in town. That's arrogant. I don't like that. I preach here. What do you want me to say? We're the third best church in town. I'm sorry. We're the best church in town. We got it going on in Jesus. Say amen. <laughs> okay. I love the churches in this town, and I support them and pray with their pastors. I'm not, I'm not telling you that I'm any better than them. It begins with Jesus. It's not about being a member of this church. It's not about being religious. The most religious people in Jesus' day were the Pharisees. Do you know what Jesus called them in Matthew 23? Sons of hell. They were clean cut. They were clean shaven. They wore all the right clothes. If they lived today, they'd be suit and tie and the whole deal. They'd know all the Christianese. Hallelujah, brother. Praise the Lord. Good to see you. Are you sanctified in Jesus' name? Amen. <laughs> and that Jesus said about those guys, they got all the show and none of the stuff. It's all fluff. And they were headed to hell. Jesus said, many are going to say to me, don't we... You know, didn't we do these things for you, God? Didn't we do these things for you, Lord, Lord? Jesus, said, hey, we're here. He said, hey, I never knew you. <laughs> you had a form of godliness, but you denied the power thereof to change your life. It's about knowing Jesus. It's not about being a member of this church. It's not about being religious. It is not even about, and let me shock some of you, it is not even about the general idea of believing in some kind of God out there. Like, there's a whole slew of Americans. I believe in God, and I try to do good things. That's not enough. you got to be perfect to live with someone perfect. you got to be perfect to go to heaven. you got to be sinless. That's the standard. The standard is perfection. Jesus said, unless you are perfect, unless without holiness, you'll not see the Lord. Jesus said, you've got to be perfect because God is perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. Are you perfect, Pastor? I'm perfect. I'm perfect. Not because of what I've done. I'm perfect because of what Jesus has done, and I've placed my faith in him, and his perfection has been clothed in my life, and I am perfected in him and him alone. I have sinned just as much as many of you, but God, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, washed away my sins through the blood of Jesus and clothed me in his perfection, and I stand justified before a loving and holy God because of Jesus and Jesus alone. It's 
not about believing in God. It's about Jesus. You need Jesus. Look what verse 28 says. When he saw Jesus. Not when he went to church. Not when he went to Sunday school. Not when he got his act together. No, no, no. He didn't clean himself up, clothe himself rightly, and go to church and change. He didn't have a choice to change. Jesus found him. Jesus reached out to him. And when he saw Jesus, the change came to him just as he was. It starts with Jesus. Not religion, not practice, not duty, not being more like somebody you know who's really religious. It starts with Jesus. Know Jesus, love Jesus, accept Jesus, and endure with Jesus. Hold on to Jesus, praise Jesus, tell somebody about Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's all about Jesus all about Jesus <clears throat> and here's what I love about Jesus he is not afraid to go where few religious people dare to go this guy is severely messed up wouldn't you say if you saw a guy naked running through the tombs what would you do run the other way I dare you the next time you see somebody like this to invite them to church. <laughs> see, here's what we have to remember. Jesus is not safe. We pray for safety like nothing else in this country, and this is the safest country to live in. What is up with that? God give us traveling mercies. Wear a seatbelt and obey traffic laws and you will get there safely. I mean, come on. Jesus is not safe. He is not safe, but he is good. Remember the Narnia movie? At the end of the Narnia movie, is he safe? Aslan, the, the lion, represents Jesus. Is he safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. He's dangerous. Come on, you, you know that some of you know that he has to be dangerous to deal with you, to come after you, to love you. In spite of all your shortcomings, he has to be dangerous. I think that the church should be just as dangerous as our dangerous savior. <laughs> Helping those who need someone to help them out of their garbage. And I love the fact that he's not afraid of our garbage. No matter how many issues you have today, I got news for you, Jesus isn't shocked and he's not afraid. And he's not powerless to help. He says to the man, what is your name? And the man says, legion. For many demons had entered him. A Roman legion, this is where that term legion comes from, because some of you are like, what's that name? It's not a name. It's a Roman term. And a Roman legion had 6,000 soldiers. This guy has 6,000 demons. 6,000. Could you imagine being a 6,000-issue person? Some of you are like, yes, I'm married to one. <laughs> no. Some of you are married to 10-issue people. How many here are four-issue people? Any four-issue people? Okay, a bunch of liars in this house today. <laughs> Let's go up. How many 10-issue people? Any 10-issue people? Thank you, some honesty. Hallelujah. We're all at least one-issue people because there's some liars in the house this morning. 
Could you imagine being a 6,000 issue person? Jesus is not afraid of you. But I, but I, but I, I know, I know, he knows. Yeah, but if, if God only knew what I've done, he knows. What, what do you think? You confess your sin, he's gonna say like, what? Get away from me. Confession is just coming to terms with what God already knows. You're not unveiling secrets. You're just finally agreeing with God, he's right. That's all confession is. What is your name, Legion? I love the fact that God is not afraid of our garbage. <laughs> we just flew to um, Florida, and we flew back, and we have a two-month-old baby, Jake. And you know, it's always touch and go when you fly with your newborns, right? Touch and go, you never know. Am I gonna cause anxiety for the entire cabin on the plane, or is it gonna be smooth sailing? And we just, you know, we, we've done it, you know, we've been there. We had the bottle ready for takeoff, the bottle re ready for landing so that the swallowing happens and the air pressure can get relieved, right? And Jake was in perfect angel all the way to Florida and all the way back, he's just like his dad. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing there, but I'm just kidding. And I was reminded of the first time that we flew long distance with my firstborn daughter, because we were rookies and we had never done it before. She was 18 months old and she was sitting on the window seat and I was on the aisle seat and my wife Cheryl was in the middle seat between us. How many parents know that when your children have certain faces, you know exactly what's about to happen as soon as you see the face? My daughter made the face that we, we both knew what was about to happen. She made the face that said this, I am about to throw up in five, four, three. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? We were eating our dinners on the plane. We weren't done with our dinners. She makes the face and Cheryl and I turn to each other. Like a moment frozen in time, what are we about to do? And my wife, my wife, oh my wife, she is a wonderful, awesome woman of God. Here's what she did. She cupped her hands together and she slid them under my, my daughter's mouth and she caught the first wave entirely in her hands. Then, you know, she's smart, my wife. She knows this comes in waves. Just because I caught the first wave doesn't mean this thing's over. And she took that first wave and she poured the remains out on her dinner plate that was not finished and cupped her hands back together and made it just in time for the second wave. Brought that wave over and poured it over her plate and caught the third wave and poured that one. Not a drop of throw up fell anywhere else except Cheryl's plate. And I was just sliding over saying, honey, you are amazing. You are a wonderful woman of God. I mean, that's how I am. <laughs> when it's yours, you'll do stuff like that. You'll make that exchange. Right? Come on, parents. You know you do stuff for your kids you would never do for anybody else. Stay with me. 
I mean, that's, that's the nonsense stuff that you do only for your kids. And, and yes, we don't do that kind of stuff. But we do stuff for our kids that we would never do for anybody else. Listen, I'm never changing anybody else's diapers except my children. And that's what you do. When you love your creation. Do you know why Jesus isn't afraid of your garbage? Because he created you. Because he created you. And he will hold your puke. He will. And he will transfer it onto himself if necessary so that you can be clean. That's the God that you may have never heard about in church until now. But he is that God. I thought God was mad at me. He loves you. He loves you so much that he'd rather send his son to die a brutal death on the cross for you. He knew no puke, but he took our puke. It says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is not a fair exchange, is it? He didn't know sin. God said, I'm taking all the sin of the world and I'm laying it on my son. I'm catching their puke, I'm catching their garbage, I'm catching all theirs, and I'm pouring it over my plate because he'd rather do that than have you live in bondage, in poverty, and alone. Some of you have never known that until today. And here's the message that I want to get to you today. And, and, and we might continue this next week. He comforts the challenged, but how many know that Jesus had to get very uncomfortable for you to be comforted? Do you understand that? The cross is not comfortable. He got very uncomfortable for you. I, everybody say, some, say this with me. Everybody say this with me. Please say it and say it with conviction. Jesus got uncomfortable for my sake. Now, having made that confession, I want to ask you a question. Have you let God make you uncomfortable for somebody else's sake? Because that's how the gospel works. That's how it works. Some of you come to church every single week. You've been here for years. You're Christians. We love you. We're so glad that you're here. But you have so much to offer people. And you're not doing a thing. You're still saying, Pastor, feed me. Pastor, bless me. Serve me. Help me. I want to come to church where it's comfortable for me. We don't want you comfortable. We want you comfortably uncomfortable for the uncomfort of people who need comfort. Some of you come in. Let me just say a couple of things and then I'm going to close. I got so much more to say because I've been on vacation for three weeks. But some of you come in and you say, which seat am I going to sit in? And you sit in the one the furthest away. 
totally disregarding that we have asked and asked and asked that you sit as close as possible to the front so that we can make room for the first-time guest in the back because when you're the first-time guest, you do not want to sit in the front. You want to be inconspicuous. You want to be ignored. You don't want to be seen. You don't want to be pointed out. You want to be able to check us out and get out and make a decision once you've left to come back. I want to ask everybody in this house to do one thing for me next week. Two things, but the first thing is this. I want you to pick your seat next week, and I want you to make a commitment to pick the seat in front of it. It's the one row challenge. That's all I'm asking. One row. We put ropes in the back. Some of you think that we put the ropes just to tick you off. And you go, I'm not going to let this church tell me I can't sit here. And you pick and you throw the rope and you sit your lazy Christian butt down, totally ignoring that there might be somebody here for the first time who needs to sit in the back and just observe for that week because they need Jesus. You're clapping. I trust that means you agree to the one row challenge. Some of you may be able to be three-row challenged, but we want to be a church for those who aren't in church yet. You understand? That's our mission. That's why we're here. You're not saved just for me to pastor you to heaven. If that's what you're looking for in a pastor, you've got to find another church. You really do. If you're looking for us to just be happy with you being lazy, you've got to find another church. Jesus got uncomfortable for you. I am asking you, not me. God is asking you, get uncomfortable for somebody else. Let's talk about God can, we will. That's what this is all about. Get uncomfortable for somebody else. I've been looking through the, the, the sheets and let me just tell you something. Some of our poorest members have offered to give the biggest amounts. And there are people here who have much more means to give much more and you are holding back because you don't want to be uncomfortable financially for the sake of those who do not know God yet. I, you say, well, why are you pushing this? We can't be here anymore. We can't be here. Uh, we talked to the landlord. They're going to tear this building down in five years. So even if we wanted to stay here long term, we couldn't. We need to make a plan. We need to give. We need to support the vision of the church and say, if this is your church, I will do it. I will not do it for Pastor Tim's sake. I will not do it for my sake. I will do it for the sake of those who do not know Jesus because somebody did it for my sake. So you give. And if you haven't given yet, start now. And if you haven't served yet, start now. And if you come to church and you say, I really want that parking spot that's closest to the exit so that I can just get out of here as fast as possible and you're a long-time Christian, shame on you. Shame on you. And if you're a long-time Christian and you've been saved for over 20 years and you're not serving in this church, shame on you. Shame on you. I know you got your excuses. I know you got your ideas about you're busy and you got a lot on your plate right now and you can't make time for it. You make time for what's important to you. Everybody does. Make some time for the people who do not know your Savior because they're going to hell and we cannot be okay with that anymore. We cannot be okay with that. 
If Jesus has comforted you, it is your job, it is your responsibility, it is your high calling in Christ to get uncomfortable for somebody else. Catch somebody else's puke and pour it over your plate for the sake of Jesus who did it for you 2,000 years ago at the cross. And I want every single person in this church to stand with me. I want you to honestly ask yourself two questions with your head bowed and your eyes closed because we have got to close very quickly. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, have you been comforted by Christ? Not have you been to church, not do you believe in God, not are you a good person, not are you a nice person, have you been comforted by Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? That's salvation. It's saying, God, I'm not good enough. And I never was and I never will be. But I know Jesus was. And I ask him to come into my heart. I want to be comforted by Christ today, Pastor, if that's you. I want to know Christ today, if that's you. Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? I want to know Christ today for the first time in my life. Raise it high. Young man in the back, raise it high. Don't be ashamed. Let Christ come into your life. Thank you, ma'am, in the back. Raise it high, just over here on the side. Raise it all the way up. Somebody's going to give you some literature. That's all we want. That's the only reason why I want you to raise your hand. Just get that literature in your hand. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Oh, there's a young one right there that wants to do it. Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful. I want Christ in my life. <coughs> you raise your hand. I want you to say a short prayer to God, not to me. You say it like this. Just say this to God, Heavenly Father. I'm a sinner. I confess it. I've messed up. Big time. I ask you to forgive me in Jesus' name of all my sins. I know he died for me. And I give him my life today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, I believe that now you are a child of God. You are a child of God. The rest of you, I say it in love, but it is time for some of us to serve and let God make us uncomfortable to make others comfortable. Freely you have been given. Freely give. Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah. Go to the access class if you haven't done that yet. Get baptized and tell your story on video. Because your story, you say, why do you guys push those videos? What's up with Because your story might speak to somebody else's story and bring them to Jesus. Do you understand why we're doing what we're doing? Wait, let, me, let me just say something real quick. I know we got to close, but let me just say something real quick. Some of you say, why are they doing that? All the time about our church. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing it? Here's the answer to every why. To reach people for Jesus Christ. That's the answer. It's not for money. We don't got any money. 
It's not to get rich. I don't care. I'm already rich in Jesus' name. It's not for any other reason than to reach people for Jesus Christ. Why do we ask you to serve in children's ministry? Why do we ask you to greet people with a smiling face? Why do we ask you to park cars? Why do we ask you to clean a building? To reach people for Jesus Christ. Because people go to hell. We can't be okay with that anymore. We can't be okay with that anymore. We can't be okay with that anymore. We can't be okay. Would you just raise a hand to the Lord if that's you and say, yes, I'm ready to be uncomfortable. I'm ready to be uncomfortable. I'm ready to be uncomfortable. Just say it to God. I'm ready to be uncomfortable. You say it and you say it and you mean it. I'm ready to be uncomfortable. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to give like I've never given before. I'm ready to serve like I've never served before. I'm ready to love somebody like I've never loved somebody before. I'm ready to give of myself for somebody who needs to be saved just like me. I want to do it. And I asked you to raise your hand so you'd make it public and so that we can hold you to it. And you don't just walk out of here and say, that was a good message. You do it. You do it. God, make us uncomfortable for the people who need the comfort that we have been comforted with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know that it's late, so if you need prayer, come to the front. But other than that, you are dismissed. God bless you. I hope to see you Wednesday night. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.